don't ever feel like uh, you can't advocate for yourself because nobody is going to advocate for you. And that's something that I learned very, very early in my career um, at the nuclear power plant. So if you feel strongly about something, you advocate for it. You go out there, you tell people, and you do something because nobody's going to do it for you. Hello and welcome to Supply Chain Stories. I'm your host, Nathan Cunningham. My co-host today is Alicia Yang. She's also our editor. She's also a student at Ohio State University. If anyone's looking for a supply chain intern or an entry-level job graduating in May 2021, Alicia is a great person to connect to. Our guest today is Melanie Rainey. Melanie has been in the utilities industry for the last eight years. She's even worked at a nuclear power plant, which is fascinating. She started her career as an engineer and has transitioned to supply chain, which she describes in our episode today, and some of her unique challenges and strengths. Let's dig in. This episode is brought to you by Lutello. Lutello offers no-risk procurement consulting. If they don't save you money, you don't owe them money. One hour of your time could save you 10% or more on all your industrial supplies. Check out www.lutello.com to learn more and register. And I want to issue a quick apology. We were trying out some new recording software, and our trial runs were really great, but the audio quality in this episode wasn't great. So you may experience some issues. I think we got most of it okay, but, uh, but I do apologize if there's some issues. We'll definitely get it corrected next time. Thanks. Melanie, can you tell me why did you choose to become a supply manager? That's a great question, Alicia. I I uh, was in between. So let me let me let me preface this story a little bit. I studied mechanical engineering at BYU Idaho, and I my first job out of college was um, as a I hired in as a as a rotational engineer at a nuclear power plant. And um, it was really great. It was such a great program. And then I landed in, in procurement engineering at the nuclear power plant. And I spent um, a few years there. And I was writing um, a commercial grade dedications and doing a lot of engineering evaluations uh, using my engineering degree. And I quickly realized that I didn't want to be... Um, kind of the, the typical engineer where it's a lot of siloed work. I, I had some opportunities to be in, on some group projects, on some special projects where I was able to interact with other, uh, people from other departments. And I really, really liked that. So I, I quickly realized that I, I wanted to do something else or something more. And so I ended up, um, moving to a project manager role at the nuclear power plant and and then I um, parted ways with the nuclear power plant and I decided that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom for a little while and give that the good old college try and then realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do either and um, but absolutely 100% glad that I did that. And so I was kind of in this um, strange period in my life where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And all I knew is I didn't really want to do engineering, which was what my degree was in. I wanted to possibly go back to school, and I knew that I wanted to be more in a more interactive role. And so I started passively looking for jobs. I was also applying for some master's program, and there was a, crew, a recruiter that reached out to me about the role that I'm in now, and um, I, I thought about it, and I knew a little bit about supply chain because I did procurement engineering, um, but I ended up going for my interview, and my now boss, um, my, my uh, director, he asked me a lot of um very technical questions, and then a lot of behavioral questions as well, and we really seemed to click. And he's an engineer, and he has a lot of engineers on his front line, and he values 
um, the education that engineers receive and also um, that, that technical perspective. And so I just thought, you know what, let's just try it out, right? I was kind of like in this uh, place, like I said, I was trying to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like and what I wanted for my career. And I was just like, you know what, let's just go for it because I'll never know. Maybe I'll be great at supply chain. Maybe I'll be horrible. Maybe I'll love it. Maybe I'll hate it. But I'm not going, I'll never really know unless I try, right? So I just kind of took this leap of faith um, and started doing it. And it's, um, I'm, I'm still learning so much, so much. Um, and I'm no expert, but the fundamentals of supply chain, what I'm learning is that it's very, uh, it's very logical and I'm very logical and I'm very analytical and in my thinking and my thought process. And so it fits really well with me. Um, in that sense. So I yep. want to ask a follow-up. So um, procurement engineer is not a title I see super often. Um, I know that many supply chain people, procurement people, uh, have been engineers in the past and they transitioned to a supply chain. Well, I know that's uh, somewhat common. Um, but there are some people that are supply chain that like to be a little bit more technical but maybe don't have the engineering background. Can you speak a little bit more about what a procurement engineer does and, uh, sure. yeah, some experiences there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a very unique role um, to the nuclear industry. And it's uh, it was really hard for me when I was looking for, for other jobs and new roles when I was in that transition period. It was really hard for me to translate that into anything else. And here's why. So the nuclear industry is very, very highly regulated, and it's absolutely justified, right? I mean, there's a lot of rules. Um, it's a nuclear power plant, right? And, and it's we very the safe. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did too, honestly. Um, and and I, you know, absolutely warranted. Um, I agree with all of it, 100%. So at nuclear power plants, and and I'll put this in in layman's terms, but at, at a nuclear power plant, there are a lot of components and a lot of um, piece parts that are considered nuclear safety related. And they, so that means that they perform a safety function that if they were to fail, the plant would have to shut down to keep everything safe. Um, so for those nuclear safety related components and parts, you have to either procure them as nuclear safety related, which means that the manufacturer has to have a nuclear safety related um, and certified yeah, location or, or process in order to manufacture that, that component or part. And that's really hard to get. And because all of the nuclear power plants were, most of the nuclear power plants that are in the U.S. were built in the 60s, there are not a lot of manufacturers that have those types of programs anymore. Um, so we, as the procurement engineering group, had to say, okay, here's a nuclear safety-related part. Can we get it nuclear safety-related, yes or no? If the answer is no, or um, we don't want to get it safety-related because of the timeliness, or, um, you know, there's, there's various reasons. We had a testing lab on our facility, and so... For me, as a procurement engineer, I had to say, okay, these are the functions that this uh, component or part has to perform. And how do I ensure that that component or part will perform those safety functions yeah. up to par, right? And so I would say, okay, it has to withstand this temperature. Um, it has to have this strength. And then I would uh, write either a commercial-grade dedication, what it's called, and it's pretty much a testing plan to have that part go through tests. And if it passed all the tests, then we would say, okay, good. It's now safety related and we can go install it. That's what was the, what's the typical it. timeline? So like if you have a part and in my mind, I'm thinking like fasteners, like bolts, nuts, screws, you know, but I guess it could be like valves yeah. and tubing and things like that as well. Uh, or motors mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Like it could be any number of things. Like how long would it take yeah. to test something? 
It was, it, so there were different circumstances. There were a lot of, um, you, it, it, the, most of the time it was taken, um, writing the plan and then it was reviewed by, um, uh, a second procurement engineer and then it was approved by our supervisor. Um, so that took a really long time, but the actual testing, it really depended on what the component was. Um, sometimes it was a matter of hours. And if we were in some kind of um, pinch or emergency, like a component failed um, in the plant and we had to rush through something, then um, it, it definitely would take a matter of hours. And we had um, a rotating call list. So we were all, there was somebody on call at all times, right? Um, so could be a matter of hours. It could be weeks. Um, there were some dedication plans that we would go um, watch at the manufacturer's facility and watch them build and then test um, the criteria for us, and we would sign off. So that was weeks, days. It was much longer for those. Um, so it really depended on, on the parts and then yeah. the component for the parts and then also just the criteria that we were testing. And did you, and the, and the reason you're a procurement engineer and not just a standard engineer or safety engineer is because you're working with a lot of suppliers, right? I'm, ass, I'm assuming you're working with suppliers to get parts and is that right or? Yeah. Yeah. Procure, so actually, um, it's kind of funny of when you, I was. Like you've talked a lot about it, the engineering piece of this, which is cool, and I, I'm curious yeah. like, what's the procurement piece of it. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, I never, honestly, when I was in that role, I never looked at cost. All I was looking for was the engineer, the technical side, right? I never once thought, oh, what is this going to cost, right? Because that wasn't my role. That was in the the purchasing um, department, but. Um, the, it, you're absolutely right. Dealing with suppliers, looking for suppliers that could give us a nuclear safety-related product, or a lot of times we would say, okay, what's installed in the field already, right? What What's the plant design? And what does this component or part need to do to meet the plant design? And so we would have this, you know, 20, 30, 40-year-old part or component and say, okay, well, this is an old a supplier OEM XYZ part, what can we get now because that OEM doesn't exist anymore or they don't make that part anymore, what can we get now, what's available in the market now that can meet that um, those same requirements. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, it was a lot of um, looking for suppliers and, and, and I think that's pretty much the only procurement side of it that I really experienced. And that, and um, just real quick, when I was in my rotational program, it was one year, and we rotated through all the departments in the plant, all engineering, all maintenance, operations, projects. I mean, I built scaffolding in one week when I was out with maintenance. I spent a week with oper a few weeks. Yeah, it was really fun. I was sweaty. I mean, it was like it's hard work, yeah. and so. When when we were getting close to our graduation date, when that year was about to complete, the class of nine of us, we were able to select our top, um, our favorite top three or four engineering groups that we wanted to go to. And I had already been kind of slated to go to procurement engineering. And the reason that I wanted to go there is I had a mentor that was in that group um, that was going to retire in the next few years. And also... The, the nuclear power plant was, let's say, here, and the material center where the procurement engineering group sat was a little, it was off-site a mile or two down the road, and the security of getting into the plant was way more intense than getting in at the material center. And I just, I mean, it was a convenient thing for me. I was like, why do I want to go there when I could just go here? And yeah. park right outside, and you know. Yeah. So at the time, I was like, "I'll just go to this place." So, 
Um, you know, so uh, so there's actually an interesting role outside of nuclear power plants that's similar that I think a lot of supply chain people could get into um, with some years of experience. Because I think supply chain's great, and you learn a lot of technical skills, um, but certainly yeah. not engineer level until after a certain point, you know. Um, and that's a supplier quality engineer, right? There's in... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the companies I've worked at, and and I know others as well, supplier quality engineer is is common where, you know, you'll go to a supplier, you know, you'll look at the prints or the specifications, you'll go to the supplier and say, why are you not meeting them? And they'll work with the supplier to improve their processes and, um, you know, improve their their lead times or their manufacturing, you know, whatever, their quality inspections, you know, um, all sorts of things like that. So it sounds similar, uh, although you're probably doing, it sounds like you're doing more of the engineering and the specification writing, whereas, you know, uh, a supplier quality engineer is not. You do have to understand it and can, you know, actually do some of that work. So, uh, So that's cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when you transitioned to become a supply chain manager, what was, what was like one of the biggest shocks in like a typical supply chain job versus like a, an engineering job? Yeah, I think, um, and, and I was really excited about it, but it's so interactive. I mean, it's, it's exactly what I was looking for in that sense. Um, it was because I am working with the business I'm working with I'm still working with engineers because I'm asking we're asking them to write technical specifications and so that we can take those out to bid um, I'm working with operations because they're they have needs for materials and services that they want us to take out to bid um, or to help put a, an alliance agreement in place or a, a master service agreement or any type of long-term agreement um, I'm working with um, the legal group and compliance and when we're trying to negotiate. I'm so I get to work with all these different departments, right? And I and I've been able to meet so many different people. And um for me that human interaction energizes me so much. I mean I just like I I'm I'm like getting goosebumps right now. Because I just love yeah. I love it. I love the people that I work with. I'm so happy. It's a, it's such a great balance between challenging and fulfilling, right? There are times that it's so tough and it's so, um, the administrative part for me is really hard because like I said, I think in these logical kind of steps or blocks. Um, and so it's this great mix of challenging, but so fulfilling because I get to interact and work with so many great people. Um, and so, yeah, it it was a big shock to move from that siloed engineering position to uh, being so interactive. And then the other thing that was really shocking for me is um, I've been I've spent my my entire career in the electric utility industry in the, in the um, at uh, generating or or in the utility space. So it's interesting to see the processes and policies that are in place at one utility versus another. Um, and and like I said, the nuclear industry is, is highly regulated, and so they have procedures for everything, right? I mean, you don't go to the bathroom without a procedure, right? It's like, I'm joking, but there's literally, and they say like procedure in hand. And so I had, when I was working there, I had all of these procedures almost memorized, right? Um, and then to go to uh, transmission distribution utility, it's not nearly as regulated. There aren't nearly as many procedures. So for me, not having a procedure was like... Like a fish out of water? Yeah, I was like, what do I do? I almost felt like, I was like, is this a burning building? Do I need to run away? Or do I actually have, and this is what I ended up feeling like. I, I At first, it made me really nervous. I was like, this is crazy, right? We don't have procedures, what? But that was because I spent my entire career at a nuclear power plant to that point. Um, but then I realized, hey, I'm kind of like a firefighter. And I have all of these procedures and these policies and these processes ingrained 
and I have the tools needed. I've got this big old, and I know they're heavy, I've never picked one up, but this big old fireman tool belt and all yeah. these tools, I've got, you know, the hose and everything, and I'm going to put out this burning building, right? I'm going to fix the processes, or I'm going to help to fix the processes. I have what it takes to help stabilize, and to, and at least for me and for my team, to help us create some stability and some processes, and it's ever-evolving, right? We're always improving and changing, and AES is very, very good about um, being innovative and moving to the next step, so we're doing a lot of digitalization efforts. So it's ever-changing, and the processes are always changing, but what I've seen is they're always willing to hear the input, right? And whether or not they take it in, into um, the next step is, you know, up to them, but at least I know that I can create a space where I feel good about having a procedure or a process in place, and so it's been it's been really exciting for me. Uh, you mentioned trust a little bit. I want to dig a little deeper in there. So, um, so multiple people that we've had on this uh, this show have said that trust is one of the biggest things when negotiating with suppliers. I agree, and, and, and a lot of supply yeah. chain things requires a lot of trust. Um, can you tell me a time or a specific story or situation where either, and you could share both, there was a lot of trust or there was a lot of distrust? Like, give me the good and the bad of, of trust from your experiences. Sure, sure. Um, I'll give you the bad first. Um, <laughs> so we are... At IPL, we have filed a transmission and distribution, and that's just, if, if you don't know, um, yeah, it's just the power lines, yeah, that are outside. So distribution are the poles and wires that connect to your house, and transmission are the large towers that are um, higher voltage that usually connect up to the substations or the generating sites, right? Um, and that's total layman's terms. Um, but... Pretty much that's what it is. So um, we filed IPL, Indianapolis Power and Light, we filed a $1.2 billion investment plan with the Indiana commissioner to uh, improve our infrastructure. And that's over the next seven years. Now, um, from my understanding, IPL has never invested something like that before, and we've never had a plan like that before. And all the other, a, a lot of the other utilities in Indiana have already done these type of plans. Um, and the state of Indiana wanted us, wanted the utilities to do this because they want to increase reliability. There's a lot of new and, and innovative things that are going on in, in the transmission and distribution space. Yeah, there's a lot of smart meters. There's a lot of um, components that can now be remote controlled. So our customers want that reliability, right? So we filed this investment plan. And because we've never done anything um, like this before, and this was just happening, you know, a few months after I, I hired in, and from the day that I hired in, and we're still we're still working through, through things now, we've been trying to put things in place to be able to execute this plan. So the plan was finally approved in February, and so now we can we have to execute, right? And we started um, kind of a preliminary execution uh, late last year, and then we we really ramped up to after we got approval. So that means that we're doing several, I mean, so many different bid events and trying to get agreements in place that we just don't have. And this is an added demand. Like, we order polls every, every day, right? But... The added demand of just a, a wood pole is tremendous. Yeah. So we've never ordered that many poles. And so that's what kinda, do we do? That's kind of interesting. I know you, I'm going to let you finish your story. That's kind of interesting, though, because like I look at a, a power pole. It's been there forever, right? And every once in a while, one gets right. replaced. So, yeah, I think it's yeah supply chain. Yeah. Like, yeah, one pole a month or one pole a day or a week or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, I need like thirty thousand poles all all in one, you know, like or whatever the number is. I don't know, but yeah, it's crazy. It's it's and the thing is, especially with poles, it's like the wood poles. You can't manufacture trees. Right. 
Yeah. So it's like you get what you can get, right? And we need yeah. it a lot. Yeah. So trying to negotiate with our suppliers. Um, but one of the my my bad instance was that um, we had the business had created a new specification for a component that we were going to need a lot of. Um, and so we took that specification, we took it out to bid, we got a lot of different proposals. Uh, we had one that the technical team liked very much, and it came in relatively close in price. Um, so my team, as, as a commercial team, we reviewed it and ended up awarding to Supplier X. Um, Supplier X had committed to delivering so many of this component um, on, on a regular frequency. The first set of these components were due to come in, and they didn't. And then we started asking the questions, you know, what happened? When are they coming? Um, and we had been in negotiations with these with this supplier for quite some time. And we had this what we thought was an open line of communication, and they kept telling us um, that they were going to come in on time, they were going to come in on time, and they were going to come in on time. So you just, I mean, my instinct is to just believe them, right? You have kind of this blind faith that they're going to keep up their end of the deal. So when we started having these conversations on why they didn't come in, we found out that the piece parts in order to create that component were never ordered. So they totally dropped the ball. Yeah. And yeah. And so this was, um negatively impacting our execution plan. So you had a subassembly of some sort, right? They had to go, or even if they had to go buy raw material, they never bought it. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's really bad. So, yeah. So we had a high-level leadership come on site. We had these discussions, and it was just not giving us a warm fuzzy, right? We were just not we were trying to relay this sense of urgency, right? We were trying to relay the impact that they had on our business and on our plan. And it just seemed like they weren't picking it up, right? But we had signed a master supply agreement. We had signed, I mean, we had everything in place. So we were, and the business side was very much attached to using this component. So trying to work through that was really, really difficult. And then COVID happened. Oh, yeah. So, and some of their piece parts were um, manufactured in Italy. And we didn't know that on the front end. Yeah. So it was really, it, it's been really, really difficult to um, make things work. And we've ultimately had to change, the operations team had to change their plan on, on how they were going to execute because they weren't going to be able to install that component at their um, initial frequency or, or according to their initial plan. So that affects our investment. That affects the whole construction plan. I mean, so it, the impacts were huge. And as supply chain, we were right in the middle. So all we, all we could do was say, okay, what can you give us and when? And what is it going to look like, right? Is it still going to be up to par? Is it still going to meet our specification? And then on the back side, we started going back to our the suppliers that had um, participated in the bid event and said, yeah. okay, what what product are you offering us? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, to close the gap. And then can we start getting um, a couple of those on site? And can we start testing those out to make sure that they meet our specification and that we like them? Because it's a lot of, it's a complex component, um, in a sense. There's a lot of communications, um, that are connected to it. So we wanted to test it out before we pursue an alternate supplier 100%. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, lots of people I've talked to have at least one or two parts that are sole sourced, right? And, and some of them are like, we've looked for suppliers and we just can't find them. And other times it's like, 
I try like I, I found people, but I just don't have the time. I don't have time to qualify two different companies, two different sources. Like because right. it takes a long time, depending on the complexity, to qualify. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's and great. we do. I mean, we do have full source, and and we hate it. You know, because it. You know, they know that, and and they know they. You know, you think sometimes you think they don't know that they're the full source of that, but they know. And they price those items accordingly. Um, and, and everybody, you know, everybody, my feeling is everybody has to make a living, right? Um, but are you taking, my beef is, are you taking advantage of me? And, and if I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, then it's not good, right? It's not, that trust is not there. So, but we've had other suppliers that have given us a, a lot of great um, value-add services. Um, we have a few in, in particular that go above and beyond on customer service. I mean, they manage inventory for us and yeah. just phenomenal, right? Always, They always pick up the phone when we have any type of emergency. They're there. Um, very, very fast response time. And those are the suppliers that we have that, um, really tight or strong trust bond with. Yeah. So uh, share your good story next, but the, before we do, I want to ask, because you've focused so much on improving processes, you know, the logic and the uh, data behind decisions and things like that, um, how would you change, you know, and, and maybe how are you going to change moving forward given COVID, which is obviously unprecedented, but, um, you know, uh, how would you change the process of your sourcing in order to avoid that? In order to avoid uh, negative impacts of COVID? Well, no, in order to avoid a situation where a supplier doesn't deliver on time. Sure, sure. Yeah, so we uh, just right off the bat, when all of this started, our legal team was um, very proactive in reviewing our current standard terms and conditions and what we have already in place and then revising that, right, based on what we were seeing or anticipating. Um, we've seen a few, not so many on the transmission and distribution side, but we have seen some on some of the generation um, and renewables projects that we are trying to execute. Um, but we've seen a lot, some force majeures, which is is really sad, right? Um, and it's it's this really kind of tough situation. So, so they revised that. So for anybody that doesn't know, force majeure is basically where um, uh, uh, conditions outside their control, such as a, a global yeah. pandemic or an earthquake or a flood or a war, you know, prevent somebody from fulfilling mm -hmm. their contract. Continue. Sorry. Right. Right. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we were seeing some of that. And, and in, in my, in our, um, instance, we were seeing some raw materials or some delays in materials a lot in like safety equipment, but we were seeing some delays on, on some, uh, larger equipment, nothing that was earth shattering or for us on the transmission and distribution side of the business, but on the generation and and the renewable side, there were absolutely some heavier impacts. So what we've done is is we've started saying, okay, let's take a deeper dive. You know, right right off the bat, let's take a deeper dive. Where are your piece parts um, manufactured? What, like, show me your supply chain flows, right? So that I know and I'm aware of where you're sourcing your materials to create the component that you're ultimately going to sell to us. How, what are the lead times on those? What are the stocking strategies that you have? So for some components we ask for, um, you know, if we're going to order component X, then we ask that you have piece parts to create 30 of those, right, stocked at all times. Um, because if something happens to the supply chain flows of those piece parts, we want to know that you have some in stock so that you can still support at least 30 um, of the, those to supply to us. So, and that was something that was not something that we regularly did um, beforehand. 
So that's been, that's been very positive because in, in return and, um, just another bit of information, my entire team, including myself, none of us have transmission and distribution experience prior to, to being on the team. So, which is kind of, uh, it, it can be really bad because we're, we're not experts, but we've kind of spun it around and we've been, We've tried to create really good relationships with our the engineers and the operations teams that we work with, and they've given us one-on-one lessons. This is what a transmission project consists of. This is what a breaker is. This is what a transformer is, and 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 the technical um, requirements that a transformer consists of. And this is what we look for when we're going out to bid or we're trying to find somebody who can meet our specifications. So that is, has been, you know, it's totally priceless. Super helpful, yeah. I know because, like, a lot of times supply chain people, procurement people will, you know, hey, take a part number and a drawing, send it out, or maybe a, a quick document, right, send it out and not question technical specifications, not question why we're doing yeah. certain things. And And part of that's good and bad. Part of it's, like, great to question realities like do we really need all those things i'm just going to take what they've you know so it's like there's times when that's helpful but other times it's like yeah like we can't deviate from current you know it's like you know you can't just get some blind quote and say it's going to work and then tell your boss hey i found a way to save a million dollars you know it's like no you just found a way to put us into a ton of liability because the part you quoted was is, is is bad. It's garbage, right? Like so. Right. So that's that's super right. helpful, and I'm glad that uh, engineers are willing to, to train you on it and to to give that experience. So that's cool. That's good. Yeah, it's it's um it's hard for me. It's been hard for me to stay in that commercial role, being in supply chain, because I was in a very technical role. I mean, I was almost. You know, I practically writing specifications before and not on transmission distribution, but the piece parts in general are not super difficult to understand. So sometimes when I receive a spec or I see old specs, especially the older ones, I say, okay, well, what are the system requirements? Like when I think of a technical specification, I say, okay, here's our, here's our system design, right? Um, at the plant, it was, here's our plant design, here's our core requirements, and then what does this piece part do to help maintain those system requirements or help meet those system requirements? What does it do? And then what do we need to ensure that the technical specification has inside of it to ensure that it meets those requirements, right? Um, And kind of reverse engineering. But what I've seen sometimes is that um, their the thought process is not like mine, and there have been a few conversations that I've had with engineers or the you know some engineering groups where I've said, "How did you come about this?" Right? Because the way that you've written this specification ties us to a sole source supplier. Do we really need to be in that space? Like. Because it puts me in a really difficult position, right? Because I can't really take it out to bid. We know that so and so is is just going to win win this event again. So can we change it? What are the true requirements of it? Like walk this through with me. So that's where my degree and my experience come in hand. They come very very handy. But it's this it's this really thin line where like you don't. Yeah, you just don't you don't want to push it too far because I don't want to upset them and I want to have a good uh, relationship with them. But a healthy pushback is right. absolutely okay, right? It's absolutely okay to ask a question. It's absolutely okay to push back just a little, right? But you have to have in supply chain, like I said, you're this middleman. You have to have a good relationship with the engineers and the operations team and also the suppliers, right? You've got to be do this balancing act and that's tough you know i and i think that's good and if there's any engineers that listen to this which i'm assuming are zero but if there are any i would say 
you know, anytime a supply chain pushes, pushes back, and even, like, me specifically, like, if I push back on somebody, it's not because I don't trust you, it's that I do trust you, that you're going to tell me the right answer, right? Like, if you if I say, hey, do we really need this? And you say, mm-hmm. yes. I trust, I'm going to, I'm going to trust that, right? Like if you say it's really needed, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you on it, but I'm still going to ask. And it's not like asking is not a a sign of distrust. It's, it's actually a sign of trust. It's like, I, you know, so. Right. Right. And you have, at the end of the day, you both want to have the company or the business in mind, right? You're trying to do the best thing for the business. You're trying to get the best product, at the best price, the best bang for your buck, right? You're, you ultimately have the business in mind, but <clears throat> you're not willing to overstep and assume that technical role. Because if I say, no, you're not going to get that transformer, you're going to get this one that's cheaper and doesn't really meet your specifications, and then that transformer blows up. It's on you. It's yeah. on me, right? And I don't, I'm, and so several times I've said, I may have been an engineer in the past. I'm not an engineer now. That's not my role. I'm just asking the questions. I respect what you decide because that's your role. So you just have to remember what your part in in the greater pie is, right? Yeah. So. Tell tell us a story of 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 good trust where it's like, yeah, this is how things should be working, like unity, cohesion, yeah. trust, all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I was, I mentioned briefly earlier, uh, we just, we had another and it was very, a very lengthy, um, bid process. So like I said, AES has, um, they have Indianapolis Power and Light and Dayton Power and Light, right? So I split my time between both. Um, AES acquired Indianapolis Power and Light before acquiring Dayton Power and Light. They were both their own separate companies. And so now we are trying to combine specifications, right? They're both transmission distribution companies, and they have a lot of similar or the same types of parts. They all use poles. They all use transformers. They both use breakers. I mean, it's it's pretty much the same equipment. But the way that their systems operate and their territory are very, very different. Right, Indianapolis Power and Light has a small and condensed um, territory, where Dayton Power and Light has a very widespread territory. So, uh, you know, very uh, a lot of customers very very close to each other, and a lot of customers very very far. So, the system requirements are different, but there are some components that we've tried to combine, and one of those uh, we the standards engineering group wrote a new spec for. And the AES or um, IPL and DPL um, workforce is very, very lean. So it took a long time for this standards engineer to create the specification and absolutely warranted because it was very technical. And there were a lot of requirements from IPL and DPL. So trying to combine those is, is really difficult. So we launched the bid event and then... Um, we realize that the specification needs to be revised. There's something that needs to be added or needs to be tweaked. We revise the specification, and then we go out to bid for another round. We revise the specification again, go out to bid again. And then we we started shortlisting and negotiating more, pushing out another round. There were some suppliers that were um, very, and they were very reluctant to give us some favorable pricing because one, they hadn't done business with us potentially. Um, they, you know, the two utilities combined have a greater quantity and they consume a lot more, but individually they're still pretty small compared to some of the larger utilities, right? We're surrounded by these these very large utilities. And, and Alicia, you probably have heard of some of these companies that are based in Columbus, Ohio, right? So there's, um, we're kind of a small fish in a big pond, right? So they were, they're reluctant to give us some, some better pricing. There was one of the suppliers that was very, very excited, um, very uh, proactive in giving us uh, some of the things that we were asking for. 
and they wanted to continue to do business with us. Um, so Dayton and Indy were using different suppliers for this component. So they wanted to win this business, right, because it was an added um, demand that they would be receiving. So they offered to manage inventory. They um, had a lot of, of value-add services that the other suppliers weren't offering us. And, and, and we would ask and ask and try to, to come to a middle ground, um, but they just, at the end of the day, they weren't willing to. So taking, it, it, it's a little bit of um, the commercial evaluation in that case, was it's tough to portray this, maybe we can call it like a total cost of ownership, right? It's tough to put a dollar value to these value-add services. How do you quantify um, somebody managing inventory, right? You can look at your historicals and you can look at the price of, of the item that you're purchasing, but it's really hard to put a dollar amount to that. And... And so you kind of go on this, well, you know, that sounds really great, and in the past we've spent this much keeping this item um, in our warehouse, and it's expensive to do that. We need to make space for other items. You know, we're doing this large investment plan. It'd be really nice to have somebody who's going to stock this for us and bring it on site when we need it. So at the end of the day, we ended up signing a long-term um, agreement with, this vendor who was giving us a lot of value add. So they may not have been the cheapest um, on paper at, at first, but they had all of these great um, value add services that they were going to give us. So we um, were able to award to them, put a long-term agreement in place, and we have these monthly calls to go over all of our needs. Um, and it's we've met these people in person, and so it's just the conversation is is open and it's honest and it just it just is right, right? It just feels good. I know that I can call them at any time and say, hey, I'm hearing that we're going to need this extraordinary amount of this item. What can you do for me? Or I'm hearing that my friends on the generation side of the business need this type of component. Do you supply that? What can you do for them? You know, it's it's that type of relationship. And then because the AES Corporation is, is much larger, we're able to make those introductions. We're able to advocate for those suppliers on the other sides of our business and our other SBUs to say, why don't you give them a try, right? And so it's, a, it's really a win-win situation. And those are, you know, awesome. It's just great when you, when you get to experience something like that. You know, what's, what's cool about that story is, you know, so often everything we use is data, right? It's like you got a spreadsheet right. and, and that's all you got. Your, again, you got your blinders on of price, lead time, quality, potentially, right? Certifications and whatever. Yep. And you try and weed out some of the, uh, you know, you weed out the, the suppliers you don't want, right? And uh, the companies that are kind of a, a go, no go criteria type of thing. So you try and normalize your suppliers. And then it's based off of, again, trust, you know? Um, right. It's like, uh, uh, again, you may not be the perfect price, but on this one part, but on these 10 parts, you're great. So I'm going to give them all to you. And um, plus you got your value add things and we can call on you at any time. Um, and yeah, and sometimes, sometimes you can't put a dollar value on it. Sometimes you can, but, um, you know, unless you have all the ex technical expertise in the world and tons of resources at your company, there's going to be something that you can't do. And I don't know a company right. that has unlimited resources, right? So, yeah. like, you know, um, there's going to be times when you're like, yeah, that would be really helpful. Either vendor managed inventory, right? Like some sort of consignment or, uh, you know, stocking agreement. Um, or, it, you know, maybe it's like 10 extra days for payment terms, right? Or maybe it's 2% right. or 1% discount, you know, depending on what your company mm -hmm. wants. Um, so yeah, so, you know, just the, it's the little things and, uh, oftentimes that build trust, you know, that it's like, Hey, yeah. I'm willing to go the extra mile for you. So. Right, right. And, 
and thinking, and, and the advice that I would give to Alicia is um, trying to think outside of the box. So using the principles and um, what you're learning in school to think outside of the box. So asking, you know, what if we do this? And when I'm, um, what I've tried, the environment that I've tried to create with my team is, you know, this is, this is a safe space to bring up any, there's no dumb question, there's, you know, this is something that we, it's just the two of us or it's just us and the team, um, we can discuss anything, right? We can bring up any idea, wild or not, what can we do, right? Is it a discount? Is it a stocking strategy? Is it, you know, how can we bring come to a middle ground between the business user and the supplier, right? How how do we make things work? And um, so having those, you know, crazy ideas are sometimes the deal breaker, right? Sometimes it's like, yeah, that's going to work, right? And and you go for it, right? You just you just make that ask. And if it's crazy, it's crazy, right? But it just might work. And it might make everybody happy. So, oh, can I just ask for advice? Like, since I'm a um, student, like, um, got to college, because my major was not supply chain, and I changed to supply chain just like um, a little bit like uh, you. So, um, can you just tell me um, how to adopt that, or how to like make it um, a better choice to? adopt to the supply chain industry. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask what your major was before supply chain? Just out of curiosity. Uh, marketing. Marketing, okay. Yeah, marketing is, um, I'm not nearly creative enough. Like, I picked that up, but it's so fun. I took one marketing class, and it's, I was like, I remember thinking during that class, man, people do this for a living? <laughs> that is so cool, but I could never do it. Like I, I thought, man, I'm just not. I'm, I'm. My creative brain is lacking. But um, that's wonderful. And and I think supply chain. There's, um, I, there's some marketing involved. I mean, when there's, and not true marketing, but like the supplier relation um, mm -hmm. side of it, and being a little bit creative and trying to think outside the box. How can I negotiate something? Um, Something that I look for, and I've hired. So when I when I hired in at AES, I had um, they had gone through a restructure the year before, and so I had an intern that had just moved to a full time position, and then I inherited a couple of employees from the generation side of the business, and I had a guy who was on loan. I hired two individuals onto my team in this last year. And so when I was looking for people um, to hire, the biggest thing, and this is me personally, and not being a supply chain expert by any means, I was looking for somebody that I could connect with and, then, and that I could trust because I'm no micromanager. Um, and, I, and I've had some um, supervisors or bosses in the past that were kind of the micromanaging type, and I never liked it. Um, so I was always looking for somebody that I could trust and somebody that I knew was hardworking. In the supply chain realm, what I would say is if there's opportunities to take some, you know, projects that are outside the box, some additional projects or some real life experience, if you can volunteer to help out a business, I know you're in Columbus and there's so many great, um, corporations and even small businesses, there's so many businesses out there that would love to have an outside look from a student, right? Because you've got these fresh eyes, you're learning all these uh, great concepts and theories, and you haven't been through the corporate world yet where uh, you might have, you know, these biases that oh, have been kind of... working in corporate America. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said the word because I didn't want to. Uh, Pre but preconceived notions. You you do find like this is how I should be doing things, even yeah. though that may not be the purpose. I do it too, right? Like I, you know, yeah. and I'm sure Melanie. It's like you you get like, hey, this is my lane. This is what needs to happen, and that may not be right. So. Yeah, yeah, and you almost 
it's like you put these blinders on, you know, and it's like, this is what I need to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going right. And then somebody says something and you're like, no, but that's not, that's not where I'm headed. So for you, Alicia, I think you have these, you know, fresh eyes and you have this kind of idealistic view of supply chain um, where if you could take that and, and try to um, help out a business or improve a process, um, implement something new, or just just volunteering outside, or even if it's paid, if it's an internship, um, that real-world experience and being able to tell the story of how what you did, how you made a change or an impact, um, and and showing the passion that you have about it is something that that makes you pop out from other or stand out from other applicants. Um, and then you know it gives you it it makes the corporation or or the employer that you're looking to work for uh, really kind of you connect and you kind of create this bond where where you feel like man, I can work with this person and they're going to create that passion for us and for our team um, and they're going to make an impact here that's going to be long-lasting. So. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I'm always like um, curious on what type of personality do you think is um, good for uh, supply chain or uh, what kind, like what type of per- uh, people do you think can really um, do a good job in supply chain industry? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I'm still, I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm no expert. Um, but something that I've seen that works, I, there's so many different personalities, and you kind of need a balance um, of, of everybody. So I have on, on my team, and I'm so proud of us because we all kind of, you know, I inherited some people, and then I also, I, I lost some, and then I hired some, and we're all so different, right? So sometimes the tough, you know, bad cop, um, very matter-of-fact, and, and you know, that's not going to fly. That type of attitude is needed sometimes, especially if the negotiations are tough. Other times, the... Uh, you know, the good cop, the nice, hey, we want to work things out. We want this to be a win-win for both of us. We want to help you grow. We want, you know, if it's a small business, we want to help you grow, and we want to help you grow so that you can help us grow, right? It's, And then there's other times that um, we need somebody who is just going to put their head down and get the work done because there's a lot of things that we have to do um, in supply chain that it's, you just have to get it done, right? Working through a contract, negotiating, working with legal and clients and sure, I mean, I hate that part of the business, right? I hate it, but we have to do it, right? And so sometimes working and negotiating through those things, it's, you just, you just have to put your head down and work. And so, when I look for somebody to join my team, I look for somebody who's going to complement the members of the team that are already there, right? So I have a very diverse uh, group of, of, of team members, and I love it. Like, I just think that we all work really, really well together. We're all so different. And when we're together and brainstorming, this, like, this magic happens, right? We just get places. We just figure things out. And, and even if we don't get to an end place, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's, we, we get the work done. And, and that's what I think, um, is, is so important in supply chain because it's, it's the balancing act. There's so much to do. And I think that there's a lot of different personalities that are needed in supply chain. So there's not one. There's all. And I think that it's a very, um, accepting department or accepting industry where you can you can be whatever you are. There's a spot for you, right? It's just knowing those principles or learning those principles as you work and and fitting in, right? Finding your little spot 
and just nestling in and getting it done, right? Thank you. So I think, Alicia, I think there's absolutely a spot for you, um, and and I hope that, that you can grow and learn and, and learn all that you can at Ohio State. Go Buckeyes. And I think that you're just going to have a really successful career. And it's, it's, and I have to make a little um, female, you know, there's not enough representation for the female. So don't, don't ever feel like uh, you can't advocate for yourself because nobody is going to advocate for you. And that's something that I learned very, very early in my career um, at the nuclear power plant. So if you feel strongly about something, you advocate for it. You go out there, you tell people, and you do something because nobody's going to do it for you. So don't don't be quiet. Um, just speak up and speak about what you know is true and what you feel strongly about. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah.